And welcome to September. Um, I'm hoping that the, the entering into the month of September will also bring with it some cooler temperatures, some, you know, the promise of uh, a change of weather, but it's, uh, it's great to see everybody here and so, so encouraged by the singing and this opportunity together. I also want to take this opportunity to say welcome to all of you AFCers. This, for some of you, this is your first time to, to be back, and so we're glad that you're here. You finished the first week of classes, and, and I hope that that's going well. I also want us just one more time to recognize the class of 23. If you're here, would you just uh, stand up just real quick so we can just say, we are so glad that you here, you're here. Thank you. Um, this, this is a church that began on the campus of Texas A&M University. This started as a college church, and we've grown to be a, a community church with a great and active college ministry, and so we are glad you're here, and we hope that you can make this your church home during the time that you're here, and we hope that you can hang around and let us get to know you as well, but we're so, so glad that you're here. This is Labor Day weekend, which means a couple of things. Uh, it may mean that some of you don't have school tomorrow. Does anybody not have school tomorrow over on this side? Okay, yeah, I know you're excited about that. That's one thing that it means. Another thing that it means is <laughs> another thing that it means is that a lot of our members who are normally here are visiting other places, and those. Uh, you know, they're with family, probably a different location. But it also means that we probably have a lot of guests, a lot of visitors who are here. And so we want to welcome you. We're so glad that you're here. And we hope that you stay around just a little bit to, to let us get to know you as well. Earlier in the welcome, Monty mentioned that there's a lot of uh, news items in the bulletin. One thing I wanted to point out, just a schedule change, is that tonight the chapel gathering, which normally meets at 6, is going to change its time to 5. And so we've been meeting for years at 6, but now we're going to start meeting at 5 in order to allow those who, who really don't like getting out and driving in the evenings uh, a chance to, to really be able to come and be part of that. Now, we are going to have a special speaker for tonight's gathering, and it's going to be Bob Davidson. He recently turned 90, and so I thought it would be good to hear wisdom from a 90-year-old, okay? And so if you would like to be part of that gathering, it's at 5 o'clock tonight, and it'll be in the chapel. And uh, my dad, I was talking to him about it a little bit earlier, and he said, you know what? I'm 90 years old, and I have never met at 5 o'clock on Sunday evenings. <laughs> it's always been 6. And so I guess, you know, it's okay that even though you're old, you can still learn new routines and learn new things. And so I hope that you'll be able to be there and be part of that this evening. We're starting a new series that will last through November, and it's called Meet Up. And I, and I want us to really, t t this morning, to spend a little bit of time thinking about this blessing that we have to meet up. 
Because sometimes we take it for granted, or sometimes we even may think of it as a burden. That, oh, it's Sunday morning and we have to meet up. But really, what a blessing it is. And I know that for me, for me, I, my kids are grown. I don't really have uh, much trouble getting here. I live close by. This morning I got up. I was able to just enjoy a cup of coffee as I looked over my notes. And then I look, kept an eye on the clock and I got here at the right time. It was so easy, but for a lot of you, it's difficult. For a lot of you, coming in, to an assembly here every Sunday morning is a challenge. Uh, parents of small children, when we kept our grandkids, we learned to appreciate you a lot more. It's not easy to get here with small children. Some of you are elderly. Some of you um, are not feeling well. Health issues make it difficult for you to come. I look and I see Sister Mary Frances, over a hundred years old, and she's here. What a blessing. What an encouragement that she's here. But I also know, I also know that there are a lot of you who are here that drive a great distance to get here. And so here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to just kind of cooperate with me, if you will. I'd like to have everybody stand, if you will, right now. And if you're able to, if you can't, just raise your hand or something. But if you would, just stand, everybody. Now, if you're like me and you can get here in, this morning, it took you 10 minutes or less to get here. Go ahead and sit down. All right, okay. We've got a few still standing. All right, if it took... 15 minutes or less, sit down, okay? Starting to thin it out a little bit. If it took you 20 minutes or less, sit down. Look at this. There are some that travel over 20 minutes. 25 minutes, okay? Okay, it's 25. Goodness gracious. 30 minutes or less. Okay. 35 minutes or less. 40 minutes or less. All right. You know, we're not, this is not the Metroplex where there's a lot of traffic, okay? <laughs> 40 minutes, 45 minutes or less. Oh, my goodness. All right. I, I, I'm going to stop right here. Can you just shout out where you drove from? Hilltop Lakes. Hilltop Lakes. Oh, my goodness. Let's give them a hand. All right. Where's that? All right. Good job. I don't even know where that is. All right. <laughs> Cherokee, Texas. Oh, my goodness. So glad that you're here. Yeah. Hilltop Lakes. Okay, great. Back here. Milano. All right. Up in the balcony. Red Oak, oh goodness gracious, so glad that you're here, thank you. Madisonville, wonderful. All right, over here, uh, right here, I'm sorry, right, right there. Oh my goodness! It doesn't matter where she is, but with a baby, it takes her about three hours. I love that. Okay. Back here. Austin. 
Oh my goodness, so glad that you're here. Let's give everybody a hand. I, I made a list in addition to that, just some that I knew on the top of my head from Hearn, Milano, we'd said that, Navasota, Brenham, Bastrop, Cameron, uh, Caldwell. I mean, we could go on. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the willingness that you have to get up extra early and to drive here to be with us. Meet up. Let's not take for granted the privilege that we have to meet up. So in our series that we're starting today, we're going to be looking at two letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. One is to the church at Colossae, which we call Colossians, and the other is to a prominent member of that church, and his name is Philemon. Now these letters were probably written at the same time, both by the Apostle Paul, one of them to the church, as a whole, and one was written to an individual. So as we get into this study, it's always good to just ask the question, well, well, how did we get these letters, and what's the background that we should know? So quickly, here's here's kind of a, a brief background to these letters. The church in the city of Colossae was started by Epaphras. Now, Epaphras was from Colossae, But for some reason, he traveled and he went to the city of Ephesus. And while he was in Ephesus, he happened to run into the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul shared with him hope in Christ Jesus, shared with him that he could live his life on purpose and and have meaning. And so he became a follower of Jesus. And probably after spending some time there with the Apostle Paul, he decided that he needed to go back to Colossae, his hometown, and plant a church. And so he did. Now the church there probably began to grow and, and uh, got uh, larger and larger. But before long, there were some people who came into this church And they began teaching something that was different. That they began to teach that, you know what? Jesus alone is not enough to save you. That really you need Jesus plus something else. And this really bothered Epaphras. Because this wasn't what Paul taught. This was not what what he had learned from the beginning. And so he decided he needed to talk to the Apostle Paul. Well, Paul wasn't in Ephesus by that time. Paul was in the city of Rome, and Paul was in in prison, and maybe it was more like house arrest, and so he said, that doesn't matter. I'm going to go, and I'm going to go talk to Paul, and so Epaphras traveled all the way to Rome, and he sought Paul out, and he told him what was going on and asked for Paul's advice. He says, what shall we do? Well, the Apostle Paul then sat down and he writes a letter. He says, writes a letter, Dear Colossians, and this is what we have in our scripture. He writes another letter, a letter to one of the members. His name was Philemon. Two beautiful letters, one to the church, one to Philemon, but both with the same message. The message that you have been changed by Christ Jesus. And because of that change, you're going to live differently and you're going to think differently that Jesus Christ is all sufficient. And so he sends these letters back 
but not with Epaphras. For some reason, he wanted Epaphras to stay with him there in Rome. He sends it back with someone named Tychicus and the other Onesimus. Now, we're going to learn a lot about Onesimus in the month of November when we study the book of Philemon. But Onesimus, just to give you a little bit of a teaser, I'm trying not to make it a spoiler alert or anything, but Onesimus used to be a slave of Philemon, and he ran away. And somehow he came in contact with the Apostle Paul in Rome, became a Christian, and now the Apostle Paul is sending him back to face his master, Philemon, in the church there at Colossae. And so this letter is carried by Titicus and Onesimus, and they travel this great distance and finally they get to Colossae and word gets out we need to meet up we need to meet up because we have word from the Apostle Paul we have a message from Epaphras we need to get together and hear this letter that Paul has sent to us now in today's in today's world getting the message out is not much problem at all but back then, I don't really know how they would have gotten the message out. I don't know if they would have uh, gotten some energetic 12-year-old boys and said, if you go run to all these houses and tell them that, that we're meeting tonight, that we'll give you an extra piece of bread. I, I don't know what, it, what they did back then, but somehow they got the word out and everybody came into this, probably someone's home, to hear this letter from Paul. Now, today, if we meet up, we might meet in a building like this, but most people, if you're just wanting to meet up, you'd like to meet in a coffee shop. And our, our creative team has done a great job of, of putting together a little coffee shop uh, here just to make us remember how important it is for us to meet up. The password here is not meet up, okay? I just need to point that out, point out two things. You don't need a password to get on our guest Wi-Fi here, but it is just a reminder to meet up. By the way, I think the donuts are real back there, and so afterwards, if you can't wait till lunch, you might come and, and enjoy one of those. But this church gathered there to hear this message from Paul, this letter. And I don't know if you're like me, but when I read and I study, I like to have a picture in my mind. And I don't, I can see Titicus walking around and, and greeting everybody and introducing himself. I kind of think that Onesimus, the slave, the runaway slave who, who was coming back, I can kind of see him maybe off in the corner, maybe, maybe just kind of standing in the shadows, hoping not to get recognized until after the letter was read. Maybe he took his hoodie and put it over his head to maybe cast a shadow in his face. And so Titicus gets up. He pulls out the scroll that Paul had written. He unrolls it and he reads it to the gathered church. After he finishes reading that letter... He puts that scroll away. He pulls out the second one and he walks over to Philemon. 
and he reads this short, personal postcard of a letter that Paul wrote to Philemon. And both of these letters have the same message. Both of these, message, these letters illustrate that because Jesus has risen from the dead, and because Jesus is reigning not just in heaven, but also in our hearts, that this reality changes everything. It changes how we see ourselves. It changes how we see our purpose for life. It changes our priorities. It changes the way that we see everybody and the way that we treat everybody. If you take notes, if you write in your Bible, maybe you should turn to Colossians 3, 1 through 3, and maybe highlight that, because I feel like this is the key verse. If the letter of Colossians were, were a mountain range, this would be the highest peak. Because, because here, the Apostle Paul bridges from this doctrine that he starts in the first part of the chapter, and he bridges into how this looks in our daily life, and he says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with, in God, with Christ in God. This would be a great verse for you to memorize during this series. To remind yourselves that because of Christ, we don't think the way that we used to. Because of Christ, we don't have the same priorities. We don't have the same uh, way of treating other people that we did before we became believers. And so we hear this verse and we say, well, Paul, that sounds good, but what does that look like? And so Paul tells us. He tells us in the verses that follow what this looks like. What it looks like in our hearts when, when we are filled with the peace that comes from knowing God and the world around us is chaotic. This is what it looks like in our families, in our households, in our marriages. This is what it looks like in our relationships at work or, or our friends at school. This is what it looks like with our interactions and with those who don't share our faith. This is what it looks like when life is hard and it's not what you expected it would be. And so as we study this letter, as we go through this series, particularly the book of Colossians, we're going to do something a little bit unusual, something that I've never done before. And Greg and I are going to be sharing the teaching on this. And we both uh, kind of thought, well, maybe this is something we can try at least once. We may never do it again, but at least we're going to try it at least once. And that is, we're going to actually start at the end of the book and then work ourselves to the beginning of the book. We're actually going to teach through it backwards. 
Now, you may say, Kelly, that is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. And you could be right. If Paul would have wanted it written that way, he would have done it. But the reason that we want to do this is, is almost like the same reason that you probably enjoy reading mysteries or, or watching TV shows that, about crime, uh, crime shows or things like that, in that you see something, you see the problem, and you want to figure out, well, how did it get here? And so you begin to ask the question, well, why did this happen? How did this happen? And you look for clues. You look for reasons. And you begin to build on each of these different things that you find. And so that's what we're going to do. And so today, we're going to study the book of Colossians, start our study. But we're not going to start at chapter 1, verse 1. We're actually going to have you turn all the way over to chapter 4. And we're going to begin with the last section in this book. Chapter 4, starting in verse 18. So I'm going to read this. <clears throat> And I want, you to re I want you to be watching. I want you to be listening for this, this beautiful picture of community that the Apostle Paul writes about. And as you listen, I want you to get ready for next week. Because next week we're going to build on top of this. This is what Paul writes. And this is how he ends his letter to the church at Colossae. Titicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you? As I read that, I think about the group that's listening to this for the first time and how it's shocking to them that they call Onesimus the one who stole from Philemon, the one who ran away, the one who Philemon could by law actually take outside and flog right now for running away as a slave, that Paul calls him a faithful and dear brother. Verse 10. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Epaphras is the one that planted their church 
And maybe this gives us a clue why Paul wanted him there with him in prison. Because Epaphras was a prayer warrior. And all of us need to have prayer warriors right at our side. And so Paul says, I'm keeping Epaphras here because he's someone who wrestles in prayer for you. When I read verse 13, I kind of smile. Paul says, I vouch for him. He is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. I kind of wonder if maybe he, uh, Epaphras had gotten contributions from Colossae, from Laodicea, from Heropolis, and Paul was wanting them to know that, yes, Epaphras was being faithful. I can vouch for him. He's working hard. He's not on a vacation in Rome. Verse 14. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets at her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, See to it that you complete the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Paul probably had a scribe writing most of the letter, but he got to this point, it was almost like he needed to put his autograph on it to make sure that this was something that everyone knew was authentic. And so he signed it. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains, grace and peace be with you. So as you read these verses at the end of the book of Colossians, what, is, what do we take from that? It's easy to skip over these names. It's easy to skip over this, this final greeting in this letter. But really what jumps off the page to me are two cross-cultural two countercultural ideas that should hit home with us, especially those of us in the American culture. And so I'd like to share these observations from this beautiful picture of the church gathered, from this letter that Paul has sent to the church at Colossae. The first thing that jumps off the page for me when I look at these verses is that together is greater than alone. Together is greater than alone. Paul was in prison. Paul's movements were restricted. It probably wasn't the dungeon. This wasn't the prison that he talked about when he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy where he knew that he wasn't going to be alive much longer. This was probably one of those house arrests waiting trial. But Still, Paul wanted to make sure that he remained focused and he remained strong even in this time of trial. And so what did Paul do? He surrounded himself with a group of godly men, co-workers. 
He was surrounded by a band of brothers. You know, it's human nature for us to want to do things by ourselves. Those of you who have toddlers right now, you know this. You know that they just kind of want to do it all by themselves, even though they can't really yet. I remember when I was in high school, I could hardly wait till I could take that car out and drive it by myself because I thought if I could ever drive, that would show that I've made it, I've, I've arrived. I remember what a thrill it was when I went to college to actually be on my own, what that meant. And so it's kind of human nature that we think like this, but it's also something that I think is embedded into our American culture, this individualism, this, this idea that, that if, we can pull, if you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps, we celebrate that because that means that you really have achieved. And we're conditioned to hide our weaknesses and pretend that we've got everything under control. But you see, Paul didn't have that mindset at all. Paul didn't drift towards this dependence on self-sufficiency or this illusion of power. He didn't pretend he was strong at all. In fact, in one of Paul's other letters, he says, When I am weak, it's then that I know that I am really strong. We can see this in the way that Paul journeyed. He never traveled alone. He always traveled with someone else, always sharing the journey with a number of companions. He was always part of a team. As I was preparing for this, I read one scholar who had evidently had taken the time to count all the names that were listed in Paul's letters. And I was kind of shocked when I read that it was over 100 Names that Paul lists in his letters calling them co-workers or people that he knew, people that he had come across with in his travels and wanted to send a greeting to. Co-workers, brothers, sisters. You see, Paul wasn't hidden away in some monastery somewhere, kind of separated from people and problems. No, Paul was someone who welcomed others to journey and do life with him. It would have been easy for Paul to be in the prison and just say, you know what, I've got this. You guys need to go out and start planting these churches. You guys need to go out there and start teaching. You know, I've had a vision of heaven. I've actually heard the voice of Jesus, the audible voice of Jesus. I got this. You guys go on out there. But that's not what Paul did. Paul, the Apostle Paul, the one that we think of as having such a strong faith, he welcomed others to walk alongside him. He recognized the value of supportive community in the hard times, in the difficult times, in the confusing times, but also in the good times. Paul realized that it was not good for him to be alone. And so here's the truth for us. We don't have to talk very long before we realize that life is hard. Life's not what you expected. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you're dealing with the repeated disappointment of infertility. 
Maybe you got bad news from the doctor. Maybe you lost someone that you loved. Maybe you're dealing with the, the, the pain that comes from broken relationships and broken marriages. Maybe you're, you're pouring all of your energy to fight that battle with addiction. You see, all of us have things going on in our life that are tough. And I guess the question is, are you, are you walking alone or do you have a community of support? You see, Satan wants us to buy into some false narratives. A false narrative that says, Oh, this is my problem, and and I don't want to burden anyone else with my problem. Or the false narrative that, you know, no one cares what I'm going through. No one really understands. I'm the only one. But you see, these are just lies that Satan wants us to believe. We are here for each other. We don't need to pretend that everything is all right. We are here for each other, and we want to do everything we can to get you connected, if you would like, to community. We have support groups all the time that are meeting together. We have small groups If you're looking for community, we would love to help you. After this is over, I'm going to be back at the Welcome Center. I think Greg may be back there too. We want to talk to you if you would like to find community. And there are many of you, I think, in in high school and college right now that that are starting off in life. And I want to just say to you, be intentional about your community. Be intentional about choosing those that you do life with because it's so important. Because the people that you choose to have around you on life's journey are a reflection of your life's goals. They tell a lot about where you're going. So let's be intentional. But not only is together greater than alone... I think the other thing that I see from this this short passage at the end of Colossians is that diversity is greater than uniformity. You see, because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, God has created this new family. And this new family is a multi-ethnic family. And, And God chooses to call this family church. And it's a collection of people who normally wouldn't ever, ever, ever meet up together. But we meet up in in church because we are all called to follow Jesus. In fact, in his letter a little bit earlier, we're going to get to this verse in a couple of weeks. In verse 11, he says this, Here, talking about church, when we meet up, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised, or uncircumcised, barbarian, or Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. This is so important, I want us to say it one more time, this last phrase here. Will you say it with me? 
Christ is all and in all. Say it one more time and really, really think about it. Christ is all and in all. You know what this means? This means that Christ is in that person who really irritates you. Christ is in that person that you kind of don't want to hang out with. You'd rather, you'd rather walk out and go, to, go talk to someone else. But Christ is all and in all. And this is such a powerful message from this letter that we're going to see throughout this study that we're going through in the fall. You see, these names that Paul mentions give us this picture of a group of people that are Jews and Gentiles. That they're male and they're female. They're slaves and they're free. They're poor, but they're also wealthy. And it's all, it's all expressed when they get together. They're drawn together by the uniting power of the cross of Jesus Christ. There's no other reason for them to get together. And so, diversity is greater than uniformity. I love what one commentary writes about this. He says, everyone's background is a non-issue to Paul, who understands that the family is rooted in the lordship of Jesus Christ. So Paul openly encourages prayer for people he undoubtedly argued with on numerous occasions because although they may debate doctrine and practice, they are first and foremost children of the Most High King. They supported one another. They spoke up for one another and welcomed one another on the word of another. They were bound together by the unending grace and love of Jesus Christ. And out of this unity, the kingdom flourished in the face of oppression and persecution. You see, because of Jesus, we're all welcome to experience grace and redemption and sanctification that comes from being in the presence of God. So together is greater than alone. Diversity is greater than uniformity. So I'd like to say, whatever your background is, you are welcome here. If we are truly to reflect the kingdom of God in our community, we're going to need to be intentional about welcoming people who look different than us, who think differently than us. We need to be intentional about welcoming those that have a different skin color than I have. We need to have more languages represented here, more cultures represented here, because our God is a God of all nations. And we need to find ways and be intentional about avoiding 
tripping ourselves up when we make people feel less than. We often mess up in this way. We have good intentions, but even in our good intentions, we make people feel less than. I was talking to my son, who was a missionary in Peru, about this, and he shared a story that, that we both kind of thought was noteworthy. But there was a, a mission team that had gone down, a short-term mission t- team, to serve in, in Lima. And they worked hard. They did a wonderful job. But they all wore T-shirts, T-shirts that said, Serving the Least of These. And it's based on Scripture. It's based on the the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 25 that if you do this to one of the least of these, you're doing it to the king. But one of the members of the church there went up to my son and said, why do they think that we're not important? Sometimes we have good intentions, but we mess up. And so we need to ask for forgiveness. You see, if you're not married, you are welcome in our family. If you don't have children, you are part of our family. If you have special needs, oh, we want you to know that you are welcome in our family. If you're a single mom, you are welcome in our family. If you're widowed, you are welcome in our family. If you feel that you're old and, and no longer useful for anything, oh, we want to say that's not right. You are welcome in our family. If you're a woman, we want to say you are welcome in our family. If English is your second language, we want to say we are so glad you are here. You are welcome in our family. You see, because Jesus is risen, together is always greater than being alone. Because Jesus is Lord, diversity is always, always greater than uniformity. So today you may have come in looking for hope. Oh, we would love to talk to you about Jesus. We would love to help you find hope. Maybe today you walked in and and you're looking for a way that your life can have purpose. That you know what you're going to do every day when you wake up because you are a person on a mission that's greater than yourself. We would love to help you find this. We'd love to meet up. We'd love to help you find hope and live with purpose each day. So we're going to close. We're going to sing a song. And some of you may be ready to respond right now. If so, if you'd like to have prayers, there'll be opportunity for prayers up here. There'll be opportunity for prayers in the back. If you'd like to be immersed and begin wearing the name of Jesus representing Him wherever you go all the time for the rest of your life, we would love to help you in that way as well. But I hope that as we sing this song, all of us can 
respond to God's call on our heart to live with, with this view of heaven, this view of a changed life as we live each day. So let's stand and sing and encourage each other right now.